Over a hill and under a misty mountain, deep within the unceded Musqueam territory of Vancouver, British Columbia, I'm Doug Vandalay with another episode of Comedy Zeitgeist. We're doing something a little different for the first few episodes of Season 3. With the Just for Laughs Northwest Comedy Festival on here in Vancouver, we'll be doing short episodes to fit in with some of our guests' busy schedules. You can follow the show at Comedy Zeitgeist and me at Doug Vandalay. What are you using to record? What, hardware or software? Like, are you recording? Yeah, just wondering, how are you recording it? Into the computer or onto a piece of hardware? I have a uh, mixer because we usually do recordings in studio. We have a home studio. So oh, I've got, nice. my, got my phone hooked up to one channel and a microphone on the other. I'm listening to you through the mixer oh, okay. and then both channels going into the computer. So a, oh, lot, nice. a lot of wires. Uh, fairly, yeah, that's fairly innovative, though, because I was thinking, how does he get those phone calls recorded? How you how you do that with getting the best quality? So I guess you got to figure it out. There's a <coughs> there's some good free software called ZenCaster that uh, I know some people use for doing this, but uh, I haven't done it. In the past, I would just record with an app on my phone, but that never came out too well. Oh, uh, okay. I got what you're saying. Yeah, I know when I did the in the dock, for example, when I'd record uh, the phone conversation with me and Richard, I would have a landline. And I would put a wireless mic on the other phone and then be talking on the landline. And then it would, uh, and then it would just, you know, when you're listening, you, you know, when you're a kid and you're listening on the other line, if you're a prank calling someone, it was just kind of that same idea. <laughs> so I just did it that way. And I found that I was like, oh, that works pretty good. <laughs> a million ways yeah. to do it. Anyways. Right. So I'm joined today by Roy, Roy Ty. Am I saying that right? Ty? That's right. You got it right. Thank you very much. It's a difficult name to read, but easy per- to pronounce. I, uh, Simple. It's, it's Celtic, I think, right? Yeah. It's, well, you know, I actually don't know the whole thing behind my My dad said that it used to be O-Thai, and it, they dropped the O when their family migrated over. They're Irish. Right. So it used to be, I guess, O-Thai, and then when they migrated, it was dropped the O, and it just became Thai. I didn't know that. I had no idea I was Irish until a couple of years ago. I actually want to do one of those uh, those tests when they, you know, the blood test for like whatever, uh, me 23 or whatever it's called, and yeah. get to find out your background. Yeah, I'm planning on doing that. I just want to see what from. I'd like to do that too, but I'm just too paranoid. I just don't know. Because <laughs> I know, and it's Come good out. that they caught that murderer uh, based on his 23andMe test. I don't know if you know about that. Um, what happened? This murderer in Canada, I think it was mid last year. I can't remember who it was, but he put in a. He did a 23andMe, and the DNA matched up with some DNA from a cold case of a serial oh. killer, and they caught him. And look, oh, wow. It's not so much that I have something to hide, it just means that if they have that on file and the cops can see it, I don't know. Uh, I think I watched yeah, too much sci fi get worried about this kind of thing that's that's actually the worst way to get uh you're like you go you're like the zodiac killer you go your whole career without ever getting caught and then you tried decide to do a 23 and me with your new found wife and end up in prison the rest of your life <laughs> it's like the first way to go out just totally just totally get scabbed on it oh that's funny it's like a positive spin on the uh on black mirror yeah no, I, I never heard that story. That's great. The only mass murderer story I know is the Robert Pickton one. Oh, yeah. Uh, Vancouver native. Yeah. Coquitlam. Which is, yeah, the pig farmer. 
Uh, sorry, mind the the airplane. Can you hear that? Uh, uh, it did. I'm it right did just by go over. Burbank Airport. Right. Yeah, I'm right at the Burbank Airport, so it's ridiculously loud. Some of these planes that fly overhead, it's really annoying. Well, now that we've lampshaded it. We, we yeah, I, I have a soundproof studio, so I can't hear it. But when I step outside, it's like screaming loud. Right. So it's uh, it's it's frustrating when I want to go outside and have a cigarette and talk on the phone, and then I can can't have the conversation because there's just planes flying over. It's ridiculous. Did you ever listen to early comedy Bang Bang or when they were still comedy Death Ray? No, I, I haven't even heard of that. Oh, it's a never it's heard a, of that. It's a podcast. One of the one of the bigger podcasts, uh, sort of the flagship of the Earwolf Network, and they used to have a studio out in Burbank, and so they would uh, sing a song every time a plane flew overhead. But uh, oh, really? I guess so they're singing a song like every two seconds. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of uh, inside baseball there. So the director of Never Be Done, the Richard Glenn Letts story. Yep. What can you tell us about the film? Um, well, the film, I guess, chronicles the life of uh, notorious stand-up comic, poet, actor, artist, Richard Lett, um, who's uh, originally from Calgary, but had his whole career in Vancouver. And it's about him, <clears throat> me meeting him right when he was at a point in his career where he didn't really know where to go next, but he was definitely known in the Vancouver comedy scene around Canada. And uh, so I uh, started documenting him and thought he was an interesting guy. And then lo and behold, his, he had a drinking problem and he ended up drinking himself homeless. And I documented the whole series of events of his downfall of his life, probably the worst part of his life. And, uh, and then followed him for the next, takes place over seven years and watch him regain his sobriety and his, uh, his throne back on stage and, back to, to tour in Canada and doing stand-up again, and he's doing great. And, uh, yeah, I've happened to document the whole process of what that looks like with someone who's struggling with addiction, and they crash and burn, and what rock bottom looks like for him. Did, did you know the so, yeah. what the scope of the project was going to be when you started it that seven years ago? It's actually nine now because it took me two years of post-production. Um, so, yeah, nine years ago, I met him in 2009, and uh, no, I didn't. I, I actually, I, I had no idea what, what I was getting into. I, I, I never imagined ever setting out and doing a documentary in my life. It's not something that I ever thought I would do. I was just a local videographer in Vancouver, um, you know, working for Coors Light and various other brands. Um, and I was doing my own web series and, and that kind of stuff in the comedy scene. And I just happened to, my name just kind of got around and I actually knew Richard from years prior when I was 18. I used to do stand up when I was younger and Richard was just someone you always knew in the clubs. He was like, a, he was a veteran guy that um, would always be the headliner, you know, whatever club you'd go into, you'd see Richard there and he'd be headlining or he'd be emceeing the shows. So as a young comedian, uh, I naturally looked up to him and, you know, thought he was well-crafted and someone that like, I could aspire to be not his style, but just the fact that he's making a living as a comedian. So I always knew of Richard and I thought he was like really funny. I always thought he was a funny comedian and, but I was timid to, you know, go ever talk to him. And then as time went on and I, I stopped doing stand up and I started producing my own comedy sketches. And like I said, my web series and stuff like that, my name then started floating around Vancouver because I could produce comedy. And then a mutual friend, Danny Mendelow, 
who I was friends with, and he was also friends with Richard, I asked him if he, I knew he was fr- close friends with Richard, and I said, hey, I would like to put Richard in my web series or just work with him sometime, so if anything ever comes up, you know, I- I'd like to work with him. And he was like, oh, okay, cool, keep it in mind. And then again, like a few years went by, and one day I got a Facebook message from Danny just introducing me and Richard, saying, hey, Roy is a local producer, director, you know, he wants to work with you. And then Richard at the time had a one man show that he was wanting to have someone film and then, you know, sell DVDs at the show and stuff like that. So we were, we said we had a plan to meet up. And then the first day we were supposed to meet up, Richard didn't show up to the meeting. (laughs) And then uh, I sent him a message back, you know, letting him know like, Hey, I don't really appreciate it being, you know, blown off. (laughs) And then Richard then looked at my stuff and was like, Oh yeah, let's meet. So we naturally met. And then we sat down at a Starbucks like a week later and just started talking. And I thought he was interesting and, and, and I just thought he was a good guy and we got along and he seemed to uh, like me. And, you know, it's cool because I had a camera and stuff like that. And I was eager to produce and Richard was, you know, had this idea for a one man show. And that's just naturally how I work even to this day when I meet people and they want to do projects, it's just, you know, if you click with that person, you click with them. And if it's, and if they, from my perspective, if I find something interesting, I'll just start doing stuff, you know, and see what comes out. And then Richard's case, he, uh, I was like, yeah, well, let's just start filming now. And because his idea for the one man show is he wanted to show behind the scene footage of like him preparing for shows and that kind of thing. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll just start filming you now. And he was like, oh, okay. So I just, that day I started filming him. And we went to uh, the club that night then to film um, him do a stand-up set. And I got there early. So I was sitting in the Yuck Yucks and uh, I came in with my camera. And then the manager at the time came storming in and saw me with his camera and was like, hey, who, who are you here to film? And I was like, Richard? And he's like, you're not allowed to film Richard he's got to run it by me. And then I was like, Oh, sorry. And I didn't know that. Like I thought I was maybe ruining Richard's career or getting him in trouble or something. So I just was like, Oh, sorry about that. I didn't mean to step on anyone's toes. So I sat down and waited for Richard to come in. And I saw Richard walk into the club and then just immediately him and that manager just started like arguing with each other. And I was like, what's going on right now? I was like, this is insane. So then, then he got kicked out and then I got kicked out. So then we're standing outside the Yucky X comedy club. And then, I that's the that's the beginning of the documentary is him out front and I just said well we're here now and he goes well I could do a poetry slam for you so I was like okay cool so I just recorded him do uh, this poetry slam that he uh, that he won some awards for and we just did it right there on the street and then that's the opening sequence to the documentary and then the rest was history I just started showing up at his house I just said to him hey do you mind if I just start coming over and filming whatever you're doing he was like sure so i just would show up at his house every day and record him and we would talk and just start going with the flow and the circumstances just i just followed the circumstances wherever they went and then as i was filming it just kept getting more and more ridiculous and that you know obviously the the psychosis of alcoholism and when someone's in a in a at a point like that in their life they're not quite all there and i just stuck with it and and happened to catch him, you know, hit rock bottom. And it was pretty sad to witness. Um, but now I'm happy to say that 
I think it can bring a lot of hope to people because um, I think a lot of people have either felt the effects of alcoholism or they've gone through it themselves. So when they see that, it either reminds them of it or they start to get a, a better understanding of what addiction <clears throat> can do to a person and how it looks in real life, you know what I mean? So, and then it comes out with a happy ending too. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really thankful that I, that I stuck it out. And, and obviously I'm grateful that Richard is still alive and he stuck it out as well. Cause there was a moment where <clears throat> me and my DP both thought that he, you know, he might not make it. He might die. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to watching that one. Yeah. So I was going to ask, ask you, uh, what were some of the greatest challenges in making this film? But I, I think you sort of covered it pretty well just then. Yeah, the one, the one, honestly, the the the, the biggest challenge. The, yes, those challenges, the obvious challenges that I was just talking about, are there. Where <clears throat> I'm just watching a man's life fall apart, and as being a documentarian, I didn't want to cross the line of starting to help out because then I felt that I would not be being true to what's happening. Then, right? Because if I started paying his rent or giving him money. I think that the most I've ever given gave him was a pack of smokes one time, you know, the day that he was at a homeless shelter, I bought him a pack of smokes. And that was the extent that I would, that's the furthest that I would cross the line because I didn't want it to become unauthentic because the documentarian myself started doing things, you know? So it was difficult definitely to watch someone spiral and, you know, and that happened and right there and I'm with them watching it. Um, but the other challenging part, I think more emotionally for me was that then all the years in post, like the two years in post-production, right. Of constantly reliving the footage, like Richard just lived his life kept going. Right. Where I felt stuck in the same time for a long time. It was like, I was in this weird like Twilight Zone episode where it was like Groundhog Day, you know, and I was just constantly watching this footage and, and it's, you know, some of the footage is, it is depressing. It's hard to watch and you just want to scream at the TV, you know, like, hey, you know, get it together. But, you know, obviously that's just what it was. So that was difficult for me was the post-production. There's, there's so much material that got left on the cutting room floor that I felt was powerful. Although it, you know, you can't put everything in a movie, you know what I mean? You have to pick and choose your spots, you know, to tell your story. So, yeah, definitely the post-production was hard on me. That that I would say emotionally for me, that was the hardest part for me, you know, because when I'm shooting with him in the moment, I'm in the moment going with it and then going, okay, like that was intense that, that night or however it goes, but also I'm living my life at that time. So, it was really bizarre then when you're in post-production and you're reliving those moments again. And it was uh, sometimes, yeah, really difficult to watch and sometimes just depressing. So yeah, I'd say that the the definite challenge for me was the editing because uh, there was so much material uh, to work with and, and really trying to hone it and craft it into a story that can have a positive message and hopefully impact people in a positive way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, definitely hoping to come and see it. I'll watch it either way. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Anyone to come out and support, I think uh, Richard and I both very much appreciate, you know, because the story we feel is, <clears throat> I can say this on behalf of Richard because we've talked about it numerous times, but we both feel that there is a positive message for everyone 
in there to take away from the story if they care to look. And, and, and that's why we encourage everyone to come out and, and see the movie or when it's released to be able to get a copy of it and watch it because there really is a, a deeper message there than just a guy's life falling apart. You know what I mean? Uh, or not just about a comedian or something like that. It, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a true message of hope and, and, you know, it's a good thing to, I feel good about that is putting something out there that um, provides uh, hope for people. And, and that no matter what kind of place you're in your life that, uh, you know, if you want to take responsibility for who you are and the decisions you made, you can come out of those dark places. Well, I hope this uh, this project can be good catharsis for both of you. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, well, thanks so much for talking to me tonight, Roy. Is there anything else you'd like to plug before we wrap up? Not really. I mean, uh, we're screening on uh, November 20th at the Just for Last Film Festival in Vancouver at 8.30 on Wednesday night. So who's ever listening, if this comes out before that, that would be awesome if you guys can come out and support it. And if, uh, if you'd missed the screening, just follow us on Facebook, Never Be Done. Our Facebook page, Never Be Done. And also the website has the trailer and all information on there, which is neverbedone.com. And we can keep you up to date on when we uh, find release and where you'll be able to rent it or, or buy a DVD. I'll just uh, quickly correct. You said November 20th. I'm, I'm thinking uh, that it was February 20th. That this sorry, is... February, February. Did, did I say November? You, you did. I was confused for a second. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was like, oh, we got, we got a lot of time <laughs> to release this one. Yeah. No, no, sorry. This month, February 20th. Uh, my apologies. Yes, this month. Sorry. It's raining here in LA and it feels like November. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure to follow us on all social media at Cave Goblins and check out what we're doing over on cavegoblins.com. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. It's absolutely the best way to support the show at no cost. You can find this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere you listen. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Comedy Zeitgeist. I'm Doug Vandalay. See you next time. Hey there, lovely listeners. I'm Talia Murdoch, and I'm here to tell you about my show, Everything Economics. Every week, I talk about the world around you, specific social and economic issues, and dive into how fantasy realms would work in real life. That's Everything Economics on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.